A reading from the 107th Psalm. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, those he redeemed from the trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business, doing business on the mighty waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their calamity. They reeled and staggered like drunkards and were at their wits' end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad because they had quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wonderful works to mankind. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. It is great to be with all of you. As Tuck said, my name is Jared Ayers, and uh, I, uh, I'm really happy to be with all of you this morning. Uh, I have, uh, for the last decade, planted and pastored a sister community of yours called Liberty Church on the other side of the mighty Schuylkill River. And uh, over what my wife and I did a sabbatical over the summer, uh, this past summer, and decided our finish, uh, to finish our tenure there. And so we've been moonlighting with all of you for a little bit, usually, usually sneaking in the back a few minutes late, and so, uh, so I was more than happy to oblige when Tuck asked me if I would fill in this morning, since he and Chris are out of town. Uh, Tuck and Stacy have been has been dear friends of Monica and I's for some time. Uh, we've been friends with Chris for some time, and so I don't mean it lightly when I say that it's really good to be with you this morning. So, uh, if you're new around here, this fall, this community is working its way through the Gospel of Mark, one of the four versions of the story of Jesus that we have in the New Testament. So, today's scripture reading is going to be from Mark chapter 4, and we'll share in the responses that are printed there in your worship folder. And I'm going to invite you, as we come to the scriptures now, to pause with me to pray for a moment. Let's pray. God the Lord, let us hear what you will speak. For you will speak peace to your people, to those who turn to you in their hearts. We acknowledge that as we enter this room and arrive in these moments, we do so from all sorts of places. Some of us as we sit here, sit here full of faith, others of us full of questions. Some of us find ourselves joyful, hopeful, Others of us anxious, afraid, ashamed. So we pray from all of the different places, 
from which we arrive to this time, that as we hear these ancient words, we would hear you addressing us. We ask these things in the name of Jesus, the faithful one. Amen. Friends, hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Mark. Glory to you, O Lord. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. Other boats were with him. A great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that the boat was already being swamped. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him up and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? He woke up and rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Peace, be still. Then the winds ceased. There was a dead calm. He said to them, Why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with a great awe and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Friends, this is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. In the late 90s, the journalist Sebastian Junger authored a New York Times bestseller called A Perfect Storm. It was adapted several years later into film form in a movie starring George Clooney. And if you've read the book or you've watched the movie adaptation of the book, you know that he unfolds in gripping fashion the story of the sinking of a ship called the Andrea Gale in the icy waters of the Atlantic Ocean off the coast of New England when it was caught in the convergence of three separate storm systems. Especially if you've read the book yourself, you know that as you plunge into its pages, Younger writes in a way that you can actually almost hear what an 80-mile-per-hour wind sounds like. You can see, almost, what it's like for a boat to sink. You can feel a little bit what it's like to drown. The writer who profiled his book in the New York Times Review of Books, as they were talking about a perfect storm, he said this, to be out at sea in the path of such an event would be a catastrophic experience. A catastrophic experience. Uh, Junger, as he, in one point, of the, one point of the story that he tells, is narrating the oncoming sinking of the ship, uh, he, he poses this haunting question which haunted me from the moment that I read it. He says this, How do men act on a sinking ship? Do they hold each other? Do they pass around the whiskey? Or do they just cry? You know, in some ways, that is actually the question that this story from the Gospel of Mark wants to ask us. What do you do when your life is like a sinking ship? What do you do when you are in the middle of a catastrophic experience and the boat of your life is going down? 
That's what we have this story of Jesus in his storm for. And this storm story is a story for, for all of us. For those of us first for whom, as you, you join us this morning, you wouldn't necessarily call yourself a follower of Jesus, whether you've, whether you've been coming with a friend or you've been a part of this community for some time, but you're in the midst of processing the claims of Christian faith. This story, as we'll see in a little bit this morning, it shows us in miniature what Jesus is doing in the world. It's a compact picture of what Jesus is up to. And for those of us who are followers of Jesus, Mark gives us this story so that we can find ourselves in that boat with the disciples of Jesus and work through what it looks like to follow Jesus through the foul weather of our own lives. If you've been tracking with this community as, as we've been making our way through the Gospel of Mark, you perhaps have noticed that to this point in the story of Mark, Jesus' disciples, his inner circle of friends and followers, they have watched Jesus work wonders for and heal all kinds of people that they would have considered less than themselves. They've watched Jesus heal outsiders. They've watched him welcome outcasts. They've watched, him, they've watched him make lepers well. But they never yet, until now, have Jesus actually work wonders, intervene, rescue in a dramatic way, they themselves. There's an early church thinker and pastor named John Chrysostom, that in a sermon that, that he offered on this story in the book of Mark, says that, that the disciples find themselves in that boat with Jesus so that they could in their own bodies feel the mercies of Christ. That's why we have this story, so that we can know the mercy of Christ in our own bodies in the stuff of our own life's stories. So I'm going to invite you for a few moments to take your place with me in that waterlogged boat. And as you're there, to make your way into this story, particularly for an eye, with an eye for the disciples in this storm, and then for the Lord of the storm. The disciples in this storm and the Lord of the storm. Now, this story, to color in a bit of context for you, it takes place on the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is a body of water that's in the northern part of Israel, and it sits some 700 or so feet below sea level. Just about 30 miles or so north of the Sea of Galilee, there's a mountain called Mount Hermon, which rises almost 10,000 feet above sea level. And so from ancient times all the way until now, the cold air oftentimes would come down from the mountains and meet warm air coming up off of the sea and frequently produce these unpredictable and sudden squalls. I experienced this myself just actually a few years ago. I was in Israel and was staying at a hotel that was on the northern side of the Sea of Galilee and had an evening where, together with several of the other people who were, who were on this trip, we shared a lovely evening watching the sunset over pristinely still water on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. And as we were getting up to make our way back into the hotel, in a matter of not more than just a couple of minutes, a violent storm whipped across the water. We were instantly soaked, 
And after we made our way back inside and I had changed into dry clothes, I still remember sitting in my hotel room watching the wind rattle the windows and the whole building creak and lurch violently and thinking of this story. And what I thought to myself was, I am really glad that I am not out on a boat right now. This is where this story takes place. It's a story that happens in the midst of a storm on a sea. And that's helpful for us to keep in mind because we often approach the sea very differently than the people who would have had their place in this story. But for us, we tend to, in the place that we live, have a very romantic view of the sea. The sea is where you go on vacation. It's where you go down the shore, as they say around here. The sea is, is where we go to rest and relax and recharge. It's where you go work on your tan and snap the selfies that you'll share with your followers. But this wasn't so for the ancients. Apart from fishing, the ancient Jews were not actually seafaring people. And so in biblical literature, both in the Hebrew Scriptures and in the New Testament, the sea oftentimes is an image for everything dark and chaotic in the world that threatens God's creation and threatens God's good, God's good purposes. It's a symbol for chaos, evil, wrong, heartbreak, sin and death. When you brush uncomfortably close with death, when you're racked by the wrong that you see in your news browser and the wrong that you see staring back at you when you look in the mirror, when you are neck deep in an addiction, when you receive the diagnosis that shatters your entire life, then you're out to sea in the middle of a storm. Now, this story asks us Junger's question. What do you do when your life is like a sinking ship? In addition to the possibilities that he raises of holding each other, whiskey, and crying, there are a couple of other ways that we respond when we're caught in a storm, when our life is like a sinking ship. You can allow yourself to be swallowed by your storm. Now, the modern secular story of the world that frames the life that all of us live inside of in the moment in time that we find ourselves says that all of life is one monumental and accidental storm. Life has no transcendent meaning or story. So the best that you can do is simply enjoy your minute in this storm. And ultimately, it makes no difference if you're wise or foolish, cruel or kind. You can be swallowed by your storm. You can medicate your storm. You can amuse yourself, distract yourself, have a drink and then another one. Shop. Shop some more. Keep binge-watching and simply hope the weather changes. Or you could do what we see in this story and pray your storm. Mark wants us to take our cues from these terrified disciples. If you look at the reading at verse 38, as they reach their most desperate point, these leathered sailors find Jesus asleep in the middle of this storm, and they wake him up terrified and say, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Now, the fascinating thing is that the disciples rousing Jesus here, the language that they use is reminiscent 
of a whole lot of the desperate, brave praying that we have in the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms is a dog-eared prayer book set in the center of the Bible. It is the prayers that we have in the scriptures that teach us how to pray, that give us language with which we can speak to God. And there is an awful lot of this kind of praying in the Psalms. God, why do you stand far off? God, the waters are up to my neck. God, where are you? God, have you moved away and not left me a forwarding address? These are the kinds of prayers that we have for us in the scriptures themselves that teach us how to speak to God. One of the, one of the most significant storms I've ever ventured through in my own life story was the death of my mother when I was a college student. After walking through that experience, I was for some time plunged into significant depression and and was filled with all kinds, of, all kinds of anger, hopelessness, questions, doubt. And in that season of my life, I had a mentor who suggested to me that as I told him that I just didn't know how to pray anymore, he said, well, why don't you do this? Just start praying the Psalms. Just start with the first one tomorrow, then pray the next one, then pray the next one. If you don't know what to say to God, if you don't know how to pray, just use those prayers. Let those be your prayers. And I wasn't more than a few days into that when, as somebody who had been in the church for a while, I started praying them and then wondering, like, can I say these things? Because this is loud. I would pray things like, God, I just wish you would kill this guy. God, where are you? God, oh, that you would smite this person. You know, and I kept wondering to myself, like, is this okay to say to God? But what I experienced through doing that was this. God wants us to express where we actually are, how we actually feel, the stuff of our actual lives, not simply our lives as they should be. God gives us words to yell for help when we are up to our necks in it. And it's when the disciples pray their storm that they have this experience of the Lord of the storm. The disciples descend to the stern of the boat. They rouse Jesus, and they say, don't you care that we are dying out here? And Jesus blinks awake, stands up. And then in what happens, there is no magic wand or staff, no incantation to other powers, no struggle with the elements. Jesus simply stands up, looks out into the weather, and then he addresses a hurricane the way that a mother would speak to a cantankerous toddler. Peace. Be still. And as soon as he speaks those words, there's complete calm. It's almost like the waves and that wind had heard that voice before. And then once all is calm, Jesus turns to his friends and in verse 40 says this to him. Why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? Actually, you could translate that literally in the language this part of the Bible is written in. As Jesus saying, where is your faith? 
In other words, Jesus is asking them, what do you trust more? Those waves? This boat? Or me? This is the question. How is it that Jesus' disciples can trust him more than they trust their own boat or more than they trust the weather around them? And for that matter, how can you and I actually trust Jesus in our own storms? Mark clues us in as to why that is in the way that he tells us this story. This oftentimes can slide right by us because we live in a very different culture and a very different time and place than the soil from which this story comes to us. But to the original people that the book of Mark would have been written to, to the original people that would have heard it, they would have been familiar with the Hebrew scriptures, with what we call the Old Testament, in a way that oftentimes we're not familiar And Mark's original hearers would have known right away that Mark, as he tells us this story, is actually riffing on the story of Jonah in the Hebrew Scriptures. Mark, in many ways, is retelling us the Jonah story with Jesus at the center of it. To To help you make this connection, I want you, as we stand in that boat together, to listen to the storm story that begins the book of Jonah, And I want you to listen for an ear between, for all the echoes that you hear between the storm in Jonah and the storm in the Gospel of Mark, and what's different about these stories. Here's how the story of the storm in Jonah, uh, here's how it goes, if you're unfamiliar. The book of Jonah begins this way. Jonah set out to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid his fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and such a mighty storm came upon the sea that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried to his God. They threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. Jonah, meanwhile, had gone down into the hold of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. Then the captain came to him and said, What are you doing sound asleep? Get up. Call on your God. Perhaps the God will spare us a thought so that we do not perish. The sailors said to one another, Come, let us cast lots so that we may know on whose account this calamity has come upon us. So, they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us why this calamity has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? I'm a Hebrew, he replied. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And they were even more afraid. And they said to him, what is this that you have done? For they knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them so. Then they said to him, tell us what we should do to you that the sea may quiet down for us. For the sea was growing more and more tempestuous. He said to them, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. 
For I know that it is because of me that this great storm has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to bring the ship back to land, but they could not, for the sea was growing more and more stormy against them. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, O Lord, we pray, do not let us perish on account of this man's life. Do not make us guilty of innocent blood, O Lord, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. Then they picked Jonah up and threw him into the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord even more, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. But the Lord provided a large fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Do you hear all the echoes between these stories? In both stories, there's a journey on a boat. In both stories, there's a violent, life-threatening storm. In both stories, hardened sailors are scared to death for their own lives. In both stories, the main character, Jonah on the one hand, and Jesus on the other, are fast asleep right in the middle of the storm. And in both stories, there is a divine storm-stilling rescue. But what's the difference? In the Jonah story, Jonah is on the run from God. And he nevertheless says to the sailors, I will give my life to save yours. If I die, if I go beneath those waves, you'll live. And then they throw him into the drink. But this doesn't happen in Mark. Or does it? Jonah ran from God, but nevertheless gave his life for the sake of others. Mark is making the point that Jesus is following the voice of the Father in offering his life for us and for the world. Remember, in the scriptures, the sea and its storms, they are a picture for us of our heartbreak, injustice, wrong, evil, and death. Mark is telling us that the agenda of Jesus is to still all storms of heartbreak and injustice, to calm all the waves of sin and death once and for all. And that he would do this by offering himself to be swallowed up by the storm of our sin and death just a few years later on the rough wood of a Roman cross. Jesus would freely be plunged down into death. He would spend three days swallowed up in the grave for you, for me, and for all of God's creation. And in so doing, by this singular seeming defeat, Jesus would win the ultimate victory. In so doing, in being drowned in our sin and death, in laying down into the grave, Jesus would once and for all be Lord over all of our storms. I want to simply close by offering you two invitations from this storm story. First, for, for those of you for whom uh, you're, you're exploring Christian faith, this story invites you to recognize the Lord of the storm. 
This story finishes with a question that Mark wants us to puzzle over. Who is this? The disciples whisper to each other as they find themselves suddenly in the middle of a calm sea. Who is this? The point that Mark is making is that Jesus here is doing things that the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land does. Mark wants us to watch Jesus rescuing, healing, teaching, confounding religious corruption, and then dying and rising, and discover that we are actually looking at the face of the living God himself. You know, that, for those of you who are, who are exploring Christian faith, that is the question. Who is this? Over the last decade, in Center City, in this neighborhood, with folks who've connected to the community that I've pastored, I've interacted with all kinds of people that have questions that are perhaps similar to, to maybe, uh, maybe some of yours, for those of you that are, that are on the journey of exploring faith. You say, I'm, I'm interested in, in Jesus, but I have these questions about how faith and science relate to each other. Or, I, there, there are things about Christian faith that I'm attracted to, but other things that I find strange. Or, I don't know a lot about the Bible yet, or almost nothing at all. Or uh, there's this or that piece of Christian ethical teaching that I have a hard time with. And they wonder, okay, so, so can I, how do I figure all of that out? I want to prioritize the questions for you. This is the question. Who is this? Friends, Christian faith is, is not mostly an abstract set of ideas, philosophical commitments. It's not merely an archaic set of rules. Christian faith is news about something that has happened through Jesus of Nazareth that changes everything about the world forever. This is the question you ought to front burner. Who is this? And this is a community where you can do that. I know this community has a, has a seekers group that meets regularly simply to, to kick around this central question. I want to invite you to, to make your way into this community and bring those questions with you. And see if you don't wind up recognizing the Lord of the storm. Second, for all of us who are followers of Jesus, this story invites us to trust the Lord in our own storms as well. After Jesus stills the waters, we're told in the final verse of the reading that the disciples are filled with awe. Actually, literally, that line in the language this part of the scriptures are written in, it says that they feared a great fear. Think about that. When the storm was raging, the disciples were afraid. But after Jesus calms the storm, they're even more afraid. Why? Well, they couldn't control the storm, and they come to, dis to, dis to discover that Jesus is actually more powerful than the storm that they were in. They have even less control over Jesus than they did over the storm. But here is the beautiful difference. Wind, water, and waves don't love you. But Jesus does love you. The promise of this story is that you can hang for dear life onto Jesus, no matter how big the storm that you are in or how small your boat feels. 
This story, and writ large, Christian faith, don't promise us that you and I will always understand the foul weather that we sometimes find ourselves in. You won't always understand the catastrophes that you walk through, the storms that you're stuck in. But the promise of the gospel that we see in this story is that you will never be alone in your storms. If you sit here this morning and you find yourself in a storm of some kind, if your life feels like a catastrophe, I want to invite you to see Jesus. See Jesus crucified and plunged into darkness and risen from the grave for you and hear him saying to you, peace, be still. Are you afraid? You can actually trust the Lord in your storm because He has descended into it with you. One of my favorite hymns is actually the one that we sung just a few moments before hearing the scriptures together the hymn, Jesus, Savior, Pilot Me. It was actually written. Uh, it was actually written with this story in mind. It was written in the 19th century by a pastor named Edward Hopper. Uh, Edward Hopper uh, was a pastor who served a church in Lower Manhattan called the Church of Sea and Land. He had a congregation that was made up of dock workers, sailors, and ship captains. And so he wanted to write them a song that would give them words with which they could trust Jesus as they inevitably embarked on long and dangerous voyages that were part and parcel of much of his church's life. And so he wrote them that hymn. And I love how he puts it. Jesus, Savior, pilot me over life's tempestuous sea, wondrous sovereign of the sea, Jesus, Savior, pilot me. Friends, I pray you make that your prayer as well on the long and dangerous voyage of your own life. Jesus, Savior, pilot me. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Pray with me. Almighty God, all of us have been in storms, are in one presently, or will be. And so I pray that for us as a community, we would actually discover your nearness in the storms of our own lives. We pray that we would trust you to pilot us through them. Let us in our own storms hear your words to us. Peace, be still. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.